0: Okay, we are following along the chronological life of Jesus, and we are in Matthew chapter 22. And last time we talked about uh, obeying authority, governing authority. And there are, there are three examples that I know of in Scripture where people did not obey earthly governing authority, and they were blessed for it. And the three examples are in the protection, immediate protection of, of uh, imminent human life. And those were the, uh, uh, the midwives who did not obey Pharaoh, the rule of the land, in killing the, the uh, uh, children of Israel's sons. And it says that, that they didn't kill them, and God blessed them for that. So there was a time that, that to go against the government, and that's in case that there's a, a protection of human life, imminent human life. Another time is in preaching of the gospel. The disciples were told not to preach the gospel. They preached anyway. And the third time is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Even if it were to be outlawed, we are to come. So there are examples, but it's limited to that. If you can find me other examples where people were blessed for not obeying the governing authorities, let me know. But it was certainly never in this issue of paying taxes. You've got to pay taxes. So that's something you've got to do. All right, let me. What we're talking about now is in verse 23, Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. On that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers with us, and, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. And in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they, all had, for they had all married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, you do not understand the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Okay, so back up in, in, verse, in verse 22, it says, The Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. And in fact, in Acts chapter 23, verse 8, it says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge all of them. So the Sadducees, remember that the Sanhedrin was two-thirds Sadducees, one-third Pharisees. The Sadducees were the priestly class, the descendants of Aaron. Not just Levitical, but descendants of Aaron. And, and uh, um, they said that there was no resurrection, there are no angels, there are no spirits. And they only acknowledged the first five books of Moses. So so, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, that's all they acknowledged as to the text, the portions of text from which you could get doctrine. The other portions of the Tanakh or the Old Testament were exclusively for illustrating the doctrine that could only be gotten from the first five books of Moses. So it was rather restrictive in that way. So these Sadducees come to him and they they want to make Jesus look silly. They want to trap him in one of their little little, little uh, 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 sayings. It's, it's much like this. It's, it's like when a, a high school student will walk up to me and they'll walk up and they'll say, can God make a stone so big that He can't lift it? Oh, you've trapped me. I think I'll abandon my faith. You're right. I mean, it's, it's a silly little thing. But it, it was one of these little things that they used to throw at the Pharisees who say that there is a resurrection. So the story was, that that, in the law of Moses, if a man dies, not having any children with his wife, then his brother is to, his next brother is to marry that woman, to raise up children in his name. Well, so they tell him this story about this woman who marries this man, the man dies, so she marries his brother, the man dies, and goes, can you imagine being one of these kids in this family? like, <laughs> I don't want to marry her, no way. but anyway. So, he gets through the seven. It's just a hypothetical story they're putting before him. It's not a real story. So, after the seventh brother dies, then she dies. And they say, last of all, the woman died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For she, they all had married her. So, they think they've got Jesus trapped. You know, now they've got him. They've got him in a little story. He's going to be stuck on this resurrection issue. But Jesus and said to them... You are mistaken. You do not understand the Scriptures, nor the power of God. You don't understand the Scriptures or the power of God. Now, they knew the Scriptures, that's for sure, but they didn't understand them, nor did they understand the power of God. This is, this is very much like, like my, my colleagues in the religion department. One of them told me he's very concerned because all these Rice students come to me for Christian counseling, and I'm not a trained Bible teacher. And that's true. I've never gone to seminary. I have taught in seminary, but I've never attended a seminary. <laughs> and and, and uh, um, so, so they're concerned about this and they can't understand why young people would want to come to me to ask me Bible questions when you've got a whole religion department at Rice. They don't understand it. Might it be because they don't understand the power of God? Might it be because it's an academic thing and not understanding the depth of it when it comes to the power of God. Now, as far as the Greek and the Hebrew, they know all of that much better than I do. I mean, like infinitely better than I do. But there's a power here. And that's what Jesus gets to them. And then he says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So he says, They don't marry in heaven, they're like angels. And in, 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 in the other Gospels, there's two other Gospels that re- report the same thing. In another one of the Gospels, it, it says they don't die in heaven. So there's no more death once they're in heaven. And in fact, we have other teachings in the New Testament that says that, that uh, uh, mort- mortality puts on immortality. In fact, the body changes. And so there's different. And, and so there's no reason. That they have to have children. They're not married. They're not bearing children anymore. They're like angels in heaven. But then he goes on, he says, But regarding the resurrection from the dead, so now he's going to give them a lesson on the resurrection. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So, what he does, he quotes to them Exodus chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Now, there are three classic passages in the Old Testament on the resurrection. Three classic passages. One is in, in uh, um, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Another one is in Isaiah 26, verse 19. And the third one in Job 19, 25 and 26, which clearly speak of the resurrection of those who, who are asleep in the earth. He will raise them up. He will give them new bodies and these sort of things. But He doesn't pull out any of those passages because they don't take doctrine from any of those. They only take doctrine from the first five books of Moses. So look what He does. He doesn't just say, well, you know, you ought to believe these portions of the, of the Tanakh or of the Old Testament. So let me quote from those which are very vivid portions on the authenticity of the resurrection. He acknowledges the fact that they, they, don't take, they, they don't count these as valid for doctrine. They only count those books as valid for illustration of the doctrine which has been set in the first five books of Moses. This is an important lesson to us. When we are talking, for example, to a Jew, the Scriptures clearly tell us that when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, He started expounding upon the things regarding the Messiah... From the Scriptures. What Scriptures? The New Testament hadn't yet been written. Jesus had just risen from the dead. It hadn't yet been written. From the Jewish Scriptures. And you can take the Jewish Scriptures and expound upon the Messiah. So He took them based upon the text they had and He started speaking to these Sadducees. Jesus took them and He started speaking based upon the Old Testament. And He started speaking about the things concerning Himself. So you can make very valid arguments concerning the Messiah regarding what is written in the Old Testament. If you look at the end of Isaiah chapter 52 and all of Isaiah chapter 53, it is such a striking portion concerning the death, the the, uh, the scourging, the crucifixion of Jesus and his raising from the dead. It is so striking that when I read that portion to my Orthodox Jewish friends, I start reading from end of Isaiah 52, about the last eight verses, and then all of Isaiah 53, they will say, I'll say to me, what do you think I'm reading? And they'll say, oh, you're reading your New Testament. I say, no. I'm actually reading the Tanakh. I'm reading from Isaiah. And then I'll say, now you open up your Hebrew Bible and I'll read it in English and you follow along and tell me where my English Bible starts messing up. And as I'm reading... It was it was an instance. I was sitting in this man's home, and I read about two thirds of the way through Isaiah 53. He said, "Enough, couldn't handle it anymore," because what happens is the Jews will always read from the first five books of Moses every week, and, and and it's split up. And you know, any synagogue you go to, you're going to get that same portion. But then they'll take something from the other portions of the Old Testament, from the songs, from the prophets, and and from the Psalms and the prophets, and they will then take that and use that as supplementary material. But they don't bring in Isaiah 53. So you go to a synagogue, you'll never hear it because it's too striking. It looks too much like a Christian work. It's just amazing. So, in any case, he goes back to Exodus. He goes back to the books in which they observe and he takes Exodus chapter He he takes from this Exodus chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, where God said, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. So he takes this very passage and he quotes it to them. Now, there are 14 points. There are 14 promises that God gives to Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. We've shortened it. It's not really just the Abrahamic covenant. It's the covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he re- reiterated that covenant to all of them. And there are 14 points in that covenant. None of the points is, is explicitly a point of res- uh, 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 resurrection. None of it is explicitly resurrection. But he does give portions, clear portions to Abraham when, he, when he's speaking to him. He says, I am the God. Of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the living, Jesus said. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. So he's not God of the dead. He says that I am the God. So as he was speaking to Jacob, he would say to Jacob, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Abraham and Isaac. Now, Abraham was already gone, but he said, I am the God. It was very much present tense. But here is where it speaks of resurrection in this. It wasn't explicit, but it was implicit in what was said. Because part of what the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant says, is that it wasn't just a promise of this. It was a specific promise concerning the land. A specific promise concerning his children. He said in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, God said to Abraham, Through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Through Isaac. Through your son, Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And that's why if we, if we look in Hebrews chapter 11, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how Abraham knew that if he offered up Isaac, it was going to be okay. Turn to, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and, and, and we'll look at that portion. You know, a clear portion about uh, uh, what was happening with Abraham. So, Many things are revealed in the New Testament concerning Old Testament prophets, concerning things. So in in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. God had made a promise to Abraham, through this boy, not any one of your other sons, but through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That gave Abraham confidence that he could willingly go to offer up Isaac and everything was going to be okay. Because when God makes a promise to a person, and that promise is not fulfilled in that person's lifetime, now God is obliged to raise that person from the dead to fulfill the promise. That's not me saying it. This is what God says. He Himself is obliged to raise somebody from the dead if He has made a promise to them and not fulfilled that promise yet in their lifetime. What's the other promise He gave them? That promise that He gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was deeply tied to the land. He said, To you and to your descendants I give this land. He didn't say, To your descendants I give this land. He said, To you and to your descendants. All three of them, when they died, all three of them when they died, all they owned was a little, uh, uh, a little burial cave and a few wells. That's all they physically owned in that land. He said, to you and to your descendants, I give this land. All they owned was a few wells and a burial cave. Shereen and I went to see this burial cave this past summer. You can go see it. You can go see where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried. That cave is still there, right there in Hebron, exactly where it says it was. And and, and, uh, they've gone down into the cave. You're standing now above it, where it's been coated over, but, but they have gone into the cave and you see pictures of, of what's in there. And it's that barricade. That's it. So God is now obliged to raise them from the dead. It is not explicit, but it is implicit within the promise that He was going to give them this land. Intimately tied to the promise was the promise of the land to you and to your descendants. Now, if He had just said your descendants, okay, He doesn't have to raise them from the dead but to you and your descendants I give this land. So what Jesus is pointing out to them that when he said I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob he's pointing out this is the Abrahamic covenant. The Jews don't call this just the Abrahamic covenant. They call this the covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It was repeated to all of them. He said in Isaac your descendants will be named. In Isaac your descendants so, implicit, it, it, implicit within this is that here is the resurrection. It confirms the resurrection in your first five books of Moses. You want doctrine? Here's doctrine from the first five books, from the book of Exodus, that you want doctrine from? Here it is. Here's where it speaks of the resurrection. It is written there. Because of the promise, there is this promise of the resurrection, Then he says, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. So the implication in these words of Jesus is, since he's not God of the dead, but of the living, they must be alive. They must be alive. Remember the parable? The parable of of Lazarus and the rich man? There was a parable of Lazarus and the rich man, but in fact, that was not just a parable. parable is a story. That was the only instance where he gave names of people. Lazarus, he gave names of Abraham, Abraham was there, and where did Lazarus go? He went to the bosom of Abraham, he's talking with Abraham, then the rich man is speaking across the chasm to Abraham, Abraham is very much alive, this is what he tells them, in Jesus' view, remember, here's a man who lives outside of space and time, in Jesus' view, Abraham is very much alive. And so is Isaac, and so is Jacob. In Matthew chapter 11, it says that in the new kingdom, people are going to come from all over the world, and they are going to sup, they are going to eat supper with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in this land. He reiterates to them, I told them they're going to own this land. I'm going to raise them from the dead, and in this very land... People from all over the world are going to come and eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says in Matthew chapter 11. Again, he is confirming that he will raise them from the dead. Resurrection occurs. Resurrection in Jesus' clearly view. He says, not only, even now that they haven't been resurrected, they're still alive. Remember, when the believer dies, the body is dead, but the spirit is very much alive. Let this be your comfort when you lose a loved one. If they be in Christ, their spirit is very much alive. You don't have to wait for the time of the resurrection for the spirit to be very much alive. The spirit is immediately goes to be with God. Immediately goes to be with God. I've told my kids, one day you may lay me in the grave, but remember, I'm not there. I'll be very much alive. And one day He will raise up the mortal body as well. And you say, well... You know, the body was cremated. Look, God pulled the atoms together before. He'll pull the atoms together again. It is no problem for Him. He will reconstruct it. He knows how to do that. He, re- he, he made it once. He'll make it again. And it will be a transformed body which takes on immortality. And this is what He teaches us. This is what He displays to us. And so what I want to do is I want to turn now to Romans chapter 10. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Romans 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, Resulting in salvation. So this is one of the hurdles in order to be saved. If you want to be saved, you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is one of the hurdles. He says you have to be willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So we have to look at our own lives. Did I come? I didn't come from a Christian home. Maybe maybe some of you did. If you just assume that you're Christian because you came from a Christian home, it's a bad assumption. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and do you really believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ that He's risen from the dead? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Christ has risen from the dead. And again and again, he says, "I, I, I, I proclaim to you that which is of first importance, that Christ has died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. So he tells us, as of first importance, the most important thing that I can tell you about is the resurrection from the dead, that Jesus has raised from the dead. That is the most important thing that I can tell you about. Here in Romans, where we get our doctrine from, he says you've got to believe in your heart that he's raised physically from the dead. Now, think about this. How can a thinking man or woman, educated thinking man or woman, maybe taken a science course or two, How could you really believe in a physical resurrection? How can you believe that? Well, that's why it's called a miracle. It doesn't happen every day. It's a miracle. Jesus has risen physically from the dead. So how do we prove that? Well, you can't put it under your microscope, but you can't put historical things many times under your microscope. What you do is you use historical proofs. The same way that we will have people go and, 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 and be executed, very often you're using historical proofs. You look at information, you talk to eyewitnesses, you get eyewitness testimony from the day, and you find out what has been done. This is so ironclad, so crystal clear concerning the resurrection. And I've dealt with it, I've dealt with it in, in different lectures that I've given around, but it's so clear Time and time again, this has been investigated. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, by historical proofs, the man has risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. But remember, it is a foundational part of our faith as believers to take hold of the fact that Jesus has risen physically from the dead. So much so that when Jesus would talk to the Sadducees, He said, look, you don't understand the Scriptures, nor do you understand the power of God. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and this is one of the requirements for us as believers, that we are to believe in our heart that God is risen from the dead. And the only way a thinking man or woman can really believe this is because the grace of God comes upon us to let us know this very truth. Because it is true... He gives us this understanding because it is true. It is true that he's risen from the dead. So I ask you, have you given your life to Jesus? First of all, examine yourself. It says, examine yourself and see if you be in the faith. The Apostle John has written to us. Examine yourself and see if you be in the faith. So, if it offends you that somebody says, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith, if it, if it offends you, you might not be in the faith. Because if you're in the faith, it says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. It says that we are to boldly proclaim this. So, if it offends you that somebody says, have you examined yourself to ensure that you're in the faith? Readily receive it. If you don't readily receive it, then question yourself whether you're really in the faith. And ask yourself, have you proclaimed that Jesus is Lord? And have you really believed that He's risen from the dead? If you don't believe that, I ask you to do this. I ask you to read the New Testament. Read the New Testament. You can start in the the Gospel according to Matthew, and you read it right to the end. It's not that long of a book, just the New Testament. When you're done, just before you start reading again each day where you left off the day before, say, Lord, speak to me. If this be true, speak to me so that I might know that Jesus is Lord and believe that He's risen from the dead, if it be true. You read the New Testament. If you're not saved once through reading of the New Testament, try it one more time and I guarantee you, second time through, you will be saved. You will be saved. And I urge you to do that. I urge you to be saved to seek the Lord and then what I ask you to do if you come from a Christian home thinking that you know you just grew up in a Christian home you're good to go if you are born in a garage it does not make you a car if you're born in a Christian home it doesn't make you a Christian christianity is different biblical christianity is very different it is something that each individual has to take for themselves each individual has to come And so what you have to say is, have I ever proclaimed You as Lord? And do I really believe that You've risen from the dead? And if you don't believe that, ask God to help you to believe. And go figure, God answers prayer. He does that. He answers prayer. Let's close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the Word of God. I thank You that Jesus spoke of resurrection as if it was an already clear and done deal. That Jesus spoke of resurrection and He spoke of relationship even with men that had died and how they were to recover so that they could be restored to that land because He's going to give them that land. Father, I pray for these young people that You'd get a hold of their hearts, that You'd cause them to seek Jesus Father, I pray for these young people that You would get hold of their hearts and that You would cause them to, to really analyze, Lord, do I know You? Lord, where am I with You on this? And Father, I pray that You draw them close to Yourself. Open up their hearts, I pray. Open up their hearts and draw them close to Jesus. And I pray in Your name. Amen.